This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and this is a listener call-in part two. I think we're going to have a part three as well coming up for February. I've recorded six calls today, and I've got another load of them planned in for tomorrow as well. I've gone all around the globe. I've got the UK, the US, Canada, New Zealand, China, all on this call talking UFOs academic programs, orb sightings, really up close and personal sightings, uh, and all kinds of different experiences as well, including one listener putting me on the spot with a few questions for me too. Some of those will bleed into part three as well, including some of the calls still to be recorded, but very excited for you to listen to these. If you haven't listened to the listener call in before, do give it a chance. You're going to hear a lot of really interesting stuff and it's a format lots of people are getting more and more fond of as well. As always, if you want to get in touch to share one of your stories, ask a question or just even share some opinions, email UFO, UAPAM at gmail.com. Link is in the description. There are loads of interviews planned for the rest of the month, folks. I've locked in dates with about seven guests now and in the coming days, I'll release the names and dates for those as well. But just lots of availability wasn't there till mid to late February. So a couple of listener call-ins and a breakdown type show coming this week at least. And I look forward to speaking to you all very soon. Let's get straight in with the first call. Joining me on the line in North Carolina, I've got Luke. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy. Glad to be here. Very good to have you. Luke, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? So... um in the last, um, especially in the last year after the events of the last year, I've wanted to get more involved in, um, in some way or another. It's kind of like just like a gut feeling that I've had. And I've had this for many years, but I've not really known the inroad. Um, and for a while, things felt kind of tame in the UFO world. But especially after last year, I just got gotten kind of like fired up and feeling like I want to participate in conversations and do something more actively. Um, but I've not really known where to, you know, where to throw out a line, basically. I mean, there are lots of UFO podcasts, um, so I could, could always throw my hat into that ring. But Absolutely. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but so the idea that has come to me is, is the graduate program that I'm a part of, which is European-based. It's called GCAS, a global, Center, a global Center for Advanced Studies. That's where I'm doing my doctoral dissertation, uh, dissertation and it's um, basically a, a, a angle on consciousness and quantum theories of mind vis-a-vis kind of continental philosophy. And um, and but I was speaking to my dean about because I've been kind of putting it in his ear and in my advisor's ear, like, hey, you guys might want to like pay attention to this whole UAP thing. Like it's, it might be, you know, on the horizon as far as of interest. And I think there's going to be a demand for academia. And so the idea has come about to create a, a graduate program in UAP studies. Um, but as I was explaining to you, you know, at least so far, you know, I've only put out a few feelers and maybe I was shooting too high, but the emails that I've sent to people, it was like, I mean, I've sent out probably eight maybe, or maybe 10 different messages to people and I haven't heard back from a single person yet. 
As far as people who are known in the field, and we would be looking for people to give, you know, virtual lectures, give a course. But I mean, imagine taking, imagine Dole, like Richard Dolan giving a three semester course on his national, you know, UFOs and the national security state. Imagine how amazing that would be to, to legitimately go through those texts like textbook and, you know, and what kind of, and asking in designing it, I'm asking questions like, you know, in what ways would a graduate need to be prepared? But one of those things is to really understand the history of, of documents, government documents, um, and what we know about the national security state um, in conjunction with the UAP issue. Okay, so interesting. First off, I'm an idiot, okay? So I, I hear people throw about the word like quantum, for example, in a lot of ways, oh. and I'm probably one of those guys that uses it in the wrong way. Like Ant-Man, you know, quantumania. You know, what does it, <laughs> does yeah, it mean? Does it mean small, really small? Does it mean big or everything in between? Um, so explain to me in layman's terms, because no doubt someone else will be out there listening to this thinking, okay, this guy's into UFOs. Um, he's an academic, you know, he's studying at a very serious level and he's got a pretty serious idea. But what is it you actually do if you're telling me who's a complete layman um, at an academic level? And then how does that relate to UFOs? Um, so... So the way that I see that connection, I'll probably butcher this, but like um, just starting on the academic side. So my dissertation will basically my starting point is actually a living philosopher named Giorgio Agamben. He's a um, he's a post Heideggerian um, kind of post structuralist. So that's in the continental tradition, which is different from the kind of Anglo American analytic philosophy and his understanding of language is something that's kind of enchanted me for a very long time. And, and I've just had this strong intuition that there's something kind of essential about human nature that he's tapped into. And, um, and in order to model and formalize his theory of language, I'm basically implementing and importing um, quantum theory. And so quantum theory is, I mean, that is a very, very broad term because we can talk about quantum field theory, we can talk about quantum physics, we can talk about quantum computing, we can, but we can talk about quantum logic. So really what quantum theory in, in the broadest sense really has to do with a mathematical formalism rooted in linear algebra and utilizing that formalism um, is the only way that we're able to makes sense, but in a non-deterministic, non-causal way of quantum mechanics. So, so quantum mechanics does not give us an exact cause and effect because of the collapse of the wave function, you just end up with probabilities. But, it's, but it is linear algebra um, that allows us to make sense of the probabilities in the way that they distribute. Mm -hmm. And so that's where... Um, the, the quantum theory comes in for me is, is largely going to be from a, a mathematical formalism. And so like I'll be looking into quantum computing or I have been and utilizing some of that to model um, some of what's going on in Giorgio Agamben's philosophy. Um, but then of course the deeper extrapolation from that, which gets into more stuff like um, Roger Penrose or there's an adjacent 
theory from the Penrose Hamroff model, which is called quantum brain dynamics. And those um, do arrive at some sort of version of the brain is actually a quantum computer. Yeah. But of course, the but there's a deeper physical implication that maybe consciousness has some sort of innately quantum um, is is fundamentally quantum in some way, in some way that um, is is very mysterious and certainly very tantalizing. And uh, what does this have to do with UAP? Well, I don't really know other than that. Um, it, it, when you see kind of the terrain of of the issue of UAP, you get these kind of injections of quantum theory. And the main ones where you hear it are things like um, are, are the speculative technologies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that can be just have to do with the actual hardware, the holes of the ship and the metamaterials and all that. But of course, then we get the whole idea of, Oh, it's, you have to wear this helmet and that's how you, the steering ship, you know, system right exactly has something to do with consciousness and oh well maybe then there's a quantum dimension to that sure enough but um then the other thing is the kind of high strangeness side and so i've i've long since had an intuition that that when it comes to paranormal phenomenon um there is some sort of maybe there's something that quantum mechanics or the quantum model could give us in in order to be able to think about these and co- you know these phenomenon in cogent ways. And sure enough, there are some. Um, I think it was one of uh, I can't the name's escaping me, but there's a guy who was a friend with Edgar Mitchell, and he. He co-founded, it was not the Noetic Institute, it was another one that Edgar Mitchell did. And um, he utilized and kind of expanded on um, Edgar Mitchell's theory of consciousness. And the guy's name is Ray something. It's a um, Hispanic last name, R-E-Y. He had had a, a pretty wild paranormal experience. I think it was involving like orbs or something like that involving his wife and, and, and that's what got him into it. But before that, he was just like a straight laced kind of like scientist or whatever. Ray Ray Hernandez. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, he utilizes quantum theory is, is part of his whole kind of formalism in how to begin to think about and make sense of um, what we think of as supernatural or paranormal effects. Um, So, those are some of the kind of touchstones for me as far as like how it might might relate. So if I'm understanding it, if this kind of thing got off the ground, you'd be hoping folks with a real serious high level academic, you know, thirst for knowledge, you know, they're they're going through PhDs, master's programs, all that kind of stuff, would gravitate to a course like this that would take a very particular skill set not to sound like Liam Neeson and and start to move it towards the you know, the UFO UAP side of things to get them thinking about it in a way that's not happening right now basically so so a lot of what I was elucidating was kind of like my dissertation piece but the point is when we talk about UAP as a topic 
it's basically a constellation of ideas and it's it's not really a well-defined it's not like biology where we know what our object to study is uap is, is much yeah. more of is much more of a constellation and so to me it's like if someone were to graduate from a master's in uap studies what what might they be equipped with well they certainly should have an understanding of the history of relationship with you know the national security state and all of that and really understand the FOIA documentation and other documents that we've gotten over the years to understand that like, well, it seems like there points to something being going on, but, um, but then also wouldn't it be really cool to have, you know, um, kind of a speculative technology or speculative science where it, it is grounded. It's, it's, it's the name speculatives in there. We don't know yet, but to think that, you know, um, Jack Sarfati or, Salvador Pius, I knew that. Yeah, or or Salvador, or Salvador Pius. Think that they don't have salient ideas that are actually rooted in in (laughs) established theory is 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 wrong. It's just that we don't we haven't put them to the test, so we we don't know yet what what the right one might be. But they're certainly worth thinking through. And then the so yeah, the idea being that you kind of have a program where you get introduced to a, a constellation of ideas at a high level and in a serious way, but then is helping people, academics particularly, to um, begin to think about these issues and have meaningful and like high level resources at their fingertips to have people who think at that same level kind of in their network and then can begin actually maybe putting out like legitimate ac- academic papers and, and starting to just contribute to, it's like what Soul's trying to do in some ways, except that instead of just having a landing place for like a conference where if you, if you come up with a good paper, you can go present there. It's like, well, what are, what's the, you know, what are we feeding out into academia? And so far, I mean, I know, Danny Sheehan is like doing some sort of academic thing too, I think, trying to put together some classes and stuff. But Danny Sheehan's think, doing everything. I know. He is doing yeah. everything. <laughs> he really is doing everything. Yeah. He's, I don't know if he's spreading himself very thinly or if he's just got that much time. Um but I, do you know, first off, I love the I love the phrase constellation of ideas. That's what I'm going to steal to use in everyday life going forward. Um <laughs> So, so, you know, Saul, as you were talking, I was writing down some stuff, um, and Saul was one of the first things I put down. Did you apply for tickets to the last Saul Symposium, I think they were calling it? Um, I, I didn't know you could. Yeah, it was an online registration, and um, I believe they're aiming to do one again this year, about the same time. Um, I would, first off, definitely keep an eye on that, because that sounds like the kind of stuff they'd be quite interested in speaking with, and in terms of the kind of thing you're talking about again as someone who's far from an expert if you're going to get something like that off the ground or get folks involved that would be a hell of a place to start actually getting face to face you're at the table with those types of folks that you want to be speaking to um i like the idea though of reaching out to some of these folks and do you, i don't know if you want to mention but who have you emailed i know you've not heard back yet uh but some of the names um and again maybe i was just shooting too high but i i i was some of that was strategic, hoping that, you know, like the first person I emailed was Diana Pasolka. I mean, she's over in Wilmington. She's very close by. Yeah. Um, and then um, I kind of hoped, well, maybe if she, you know, drew interest, then I could, 
you know, drop her name for other emails or something. But um, Pasolka, uh, Richard Dolan, um, I just went for it with Barry Nolan. He's just got his email, on his, but it's his lab. But um, uh, I would, I wouldn't take it personally that Gary Nolan's no, not know, that yet. That, he seems like a pretty busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, it was funny because I, because yeah. I emailed Pasolka, and then like two days later, I found out oh, she was on Joe Rogan that night. Like on like the day that I sent yeah. the email. I, I think she had again a few weeks and stuff. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, um, but them and um, Darren King. Um, yep. Th- there's some folks I want to. I have not reached out to Nick Cook yet, but I, I do want to. Um, I've got Nick on the podcast in a couple of weeks as well. So Leslie Kane, Ross Coldheart, because you know I think there would certainly be a place for. Um, talking about it from a professional standpoint of journalism. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's some real conversations to be had there, you know, the kind of classes or concerns that would come up in a journalism degree course. Um, there's got to be some kind of never been broached subjects there. Um Well, listen, I can't promise or give you any answers on this, but two things. One, uh, let me, get in touch with some of those people and just forward on your details to say just not that my email is going to be any more powerful or have any weight to it but just to bump up their queue for you as well um i I know what it's like to email folks 10 20 30 times and get nothing back and then randomly one day you get an email off someone and then it's two weeks before you hear back from them again it happens and i'm just as bad for that kind of stuff so yeah it does get pretty manic and busy um the other one would be I'm not saying those folks listen to this podcast. I know a couple of them do from time to time. Um, but there's a lot of folks who listen to this that work in very high levels of financial institutes, uh, medicine schools, law schools. They work practicing pretty in, impressive fields like yourself, decent levels of academia. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with Luke, uh, reach out to me. Or I don't know, Luke, if you want to give out any details on here. But if you'd rather this reached out to me first and then got in touch with you. I mean, I'd be happy to receive an email. Um, it's Luke, L-U-K-E dot Roberts with an S at GCAS. So G-C-A-S dot I-E. Awesome. And that's so my anyone, academic email. Yeah, if anyone wants to get straight in touch with Luke about how they could help or any thoughts on that, uh, I'm sure Luke would appreciate it, like he said as well. Um, but look, something I'd just love to wrap up with, I'm asking everyone on this call-in, as a this year, 2024, we're, we're just at the beginning of February now. It's been, for some, a slow start to the year. I think if you take a step back and look at the broader picture, we've had quite a lot of news already. Um, what would you like to see, I suppose maybe from an academia point of view, but any way you want this year to happen in the field of UFOs that to you would indicate progress? I was laughing for a second because, I mean, a year ago, before Grush, I was like binging on UFO stuff, man. I can't keep up with it. I literally cannot listen to everything anymore. Yeah, there's just too much. And um, so the beginning of this year has been nuts. Um, it, but to me, it's you know, it's those forty witnesses. <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for the or, or if Grush has um, firsthand uh, information that he wants to kind of you know bring himself up as a as a first hand witness now. But um, to me, it's about the firsthand piece and numbers. It's got to be more than just Grush. Um, 
we need that we need witnesses to come forward, something that is enough that the mainstream media can't just easily dismiss it as a one-off. Yeah, I think that's going to be a pretty popular one, to be honest, this year. Um, I would imagine David Grush does have first-hand knowledge. He said as much in the first hearing, and I know when he sort of, and he never changed his story, but he elaborated on a, a news piece a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, and a few folks called him out for suddenly changing up what he did or didn't know. And actually, if you go back to the original hearing, he said he couldn't discuss it in that open setting, but would behind closed doors. So, yeah, I think we've got more to come from David Grush. Um, he's been through a hell of a lot, it sounds like, in this short time he's been in the public eye. But that's enough to put off, I think, a lot of whistleblowers coming forward. But hopefully they see and they hear enough and get enough support behind the scenes that they still choose to do that. So I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. Look, um, listen, yeah, and if Thomas Monheim, if Thomas Monheim wouldn't mind speaking up, that would be pretty cool. too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a few, who was the one, a few folks have said now, uh, well, Admiral Wilson would be one Wilson Davis memo, but oh, that, is, that, now. Is, yeah. that is not happening. Uh, oh, I know. yeah, that would be a total one eighty. Um, oh, who was the dude? general such and such that yeah. um, Tom DeLong was speaking yeah. to Podesta oh my god I forgot his name <sighs> someone mentioned it anyway it'll come back to me but yeah I think there's a lot to come sooner than later uh, in the coming weeks Ross Coulthard's alluded at a few things I know some folks hate that you know coming soon but it is what it is it's the nature of the beast um, it's the quantum nature of the beast I think you can just put <laughs> quantum in front of anything and it sounds more intelligent um, do you ever listen to Jay on Project Unity Oh yeah, I love this, is, this has been a bit like speaking to Jay for me. Um, so um, <laughs> you'll know exactly what I mean by that. I do know. Yeah, no harm to Jay. Um, but listen, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Luke. And best thank of luck you, getting Andy. that off the ground. Thank you. Next on the line, I've got Phil calling from Asia. Phil, welcome. Hello, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Very good to have you on, uh, calling from all around the world uh, on this show at the minute. So, listen, <laughs> you're right. out in Asia. The sound is incredible, which I'm very grateful of. So, Phil, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Okay, so um, I'm calling just to share a kind of um, an orb sighting experience I had in 2021. So, um, I think for a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of people I'm sure listening who've had like, um, you know, various sightings of their own. But I think for you know, perhaps for newer listeners or people who haven't had an experience themselves. Like, I think um, that there might there might be something there, even if it's just sort of, you know, I'm just like an ordinary guy, a kindergarten teacher, and you know, just kind of add me to the list of people who've seen something, you know, just seen something a bit weird. And um, there's a lot of us, you know. So in, in my case, what happened was, um, uh, so one one night I, I fell asleep reading. Um, you know, George Knapp and um, George Knapp's book about um, Skinwalker Ranch on my Kindle. So um, just lying in bed, Kindle open on, open on, uh, open next to me, just reading, reading, reading. Um, I came across the part where um, some orbs followed the the previous ranch owners' dogs into a copse mm -hmm. of trees, and then they heard dogs yelping, and they didn't come back. And then the next day, they were just scorch marks, and Basically, after reading that part, not long afterwards, I fell asleep. And then um, I woke up during the night and I'm lying on my back, which is a bit unusual, um, looking towards the foot of the bed. 
and there's a little orb there. So maybe sort of small ball of light, white, 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 bluish white, something like that. Um, so about waist height off the ground. And it was just, it just, yeah, a ball of light in my bedroom, <laughs> essentially. And it just, it moved at a steady speed in a perfectly straight line, just from like across my field of view, maybe five seconds or so, covered about two meters or so. And then before hitting the wall, it faded out and just disappeared. Um, and so that is the only kind of anom anomalous experience I've had in my life. Um, and compared to the ones that a lot of other people have had, it's um, relatively tame. But um, it also kind of like opened up a lot of things for me, like in terms of, I guess I'd say like ontological shock. You know, there's a kind of common, commonly used term sort of talking about a UFO topic. And, um, and, and I think people kind of, um, I, th I think one thing I could contribute here is just like, I think it's, it's worth really trying to be sort of like brutally honest about quite what that means. Because, you know, you, the first time I heard that, I'm like ontological shock. It sounds really smart and really interesting and stuff like that. But, you know, um, you know, I, we've got a baby at home and people tell you like having babies is difficult and it's tiring and stuff like that. Um, what they don't tell you is like, you know, quite how, quite how difficult it is, you know, like, um, yeah. postnatal depression is essentially just like women being driven to the brink of insanity by like a baby screaming at them, like attacking their emotional and physical health, not letting them sleep or take care of themselves and winding up like briefly not liking their own baby, um, mm. not loving their own baby. And like ontological shock, it sounds a bit of this kind of like abstract sort of hippie-ish terminology. But in my case, what it kind of boiled down to was like, for months after this event, I'm going to bed at night thinking, you know, please God, let me wake up in the morning. Like, I don't want to wake up during the night and be thinking, why am I awake? Is there anything mm. in my bedroom with me? You know, it's like, it's something, it goes beyond just this sort of sense of like, oh, it's challenging my assumptions and my mind's blown. It's like, is there something in my room with me? And then because of that weird situation where I'd fallen asleep reading a book about orbs and saw one, that then starts making me question like, what are the, what effects do my own thoughts have? I mean, it's, it's yep. basically like, um, it's practically the definition of insanity for most people to be thinking like your thoughts affect the outside world. And yeah, that's where this sort of thing puts you. Let me ask then, Phil, because it's a really interesting idea. And it's funny, I get regular emails and DMs off of people that start, Andy, I know you don't like orbs, but okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's a sweeping generalization, but I, I've got my issues with a lot of the pictures and videos because there's a lot of people post things that are dust or bugs and they're not orbs. But yeah, there are some, some more interesting ones, definitely. But let me ask the first and most obvious thing. You're going to have people listening to this who go, 100%, I'm there, I've been there myself, I've seen it. And then you're going to have folks who sit on the fence, and then I think you're going to have a more sceptical crew who the obvious question is, how do you know you just read a book, you read about orbs, and you've had a dream, or a very vivid dream? What was it about it that you were like, you were awake? Yeah, I mean, that's totally valid. And like, I, I, had, I told the story to a colleague, and he's like, are you sure you weren't asleep? Because it's obvious as well, and like, 
I mean, it's an, it's an obvious point to raise. And, you know, no, I can't be 100% sure that I was awake. But at the same time, you know, nobody thinks that about... <laughs> Nobody thinks that about themselves, do they? Like, you're not sure whether you're awake or asleep, you know? Like, I'm not, um, I, I don't I don't have lucid dreams. I don't go sleepwalking or anything like that. And and I can tell you, like, when I woke up, I was freaking terrified, you know? Like, I woke up, I'm lying there on my back. Um, I didn't move. I didn't make a sound. I saw this thing and I'm thinking, what on God, what what do I do now? What now? And then my dog, we've got two dogs. They were in the sleep in the, the bedroom one of them didn't wake up um the other one just came right over a few seconds later and started pawing at me mm-hmm. and then and then got up on her hind legs stuck her nose through the curtains and looked out through the window in the direction the thing had just gone so it was moving in the direction of the outside wall where the window was dog stuck her head out of the window looking out there as if where did that thing go um that did not help make me feel better then i got up uh, looked out the <laughs> looked out the window myself and then took the dog outside for a pee thinking, you know, did she wake me up or something like mm-hmm. that? So could, could you move, can I just check Phil? Could you move yeah. at all during the, 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 the experience as such? Could you move or was it a form of sleep paralysis or were you just choosing not to move? I mean, to, so I, I don't know if I have a straight answer to that, you know, like I don't, I mean, I woke up and I was just sort of like, feeling tense and feeling tense and mm. watching. I don't feel like I was, I don't feel like I was paralyzed. I didn't feel, um, when I, when I chose to move, I could move, um, mm-hmm. so I could okay. get up and look out of the window. Um, I mean, one other point people might be thinking is, was it a light shining in from outside? So, I mean, there's basically, we're on the, we're in a ground floor apartment with sort of raised ground outside and bushes and trees and stuff. And there's nothing, nothing for sort of, you know, nothing in a suitable direction that could be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, one point I didn't mention yet there was that immediately after seeing, I looked at my alarm clock and it said three o'clock, uh, three zero zero. Um, and actually, um, I'll, I'll let you follow up there. I have something else I wanted to say, but I don't want to go rambling. <laughs> so, um, did that, did that answer your question? Um, so I've, I've got another point to make if you want, yeah, or yeah. you can, no, you no, can no. ask another question. That's fine. I, I, do you know what? For me, I've, like I said, I've had a couple of sightings of my own, one particularly strong. The other one, you know, could have been whatever with the triangle. But the, the, the one I saw, the Ferris wheel object, sounds ridiculous to talk about that. And someone else telling me that, would I necessarily believe them? I, I would take it at face value, but there's no proof. So I think whenever someone tells me something, I'm like, fair enough. They have definitely experienced it, thought they've seen it. I've had incidents where I can't remember was I dreaming, was I not, but I do get very lucid dreams, um, which I've always had an interest in. So, But yeah, the, the experience itself, totally take it face value on that one. And I know loads more people who will get in touch and say they've had something similar. So yeah, that's the, great for sharing. What was your second point? Um, oh, so, and actually a related thing. So this actually possibly makes it more interesting is that um, a year later I was watching... Um, um, engaging the phenomenon, mm-hmm. and the, the name suddenly escapes me. Uh, the the OSAP program manager who wrote the book with George Knapp, Lukatsky, um, James Lukatsky. Oh, was it him? Colm Kelleher. Colm Kelleher. Colm Kelleher. Yeah. So he was on engaging the phenomenon, and he mentioned that many people had contacted him. Um saying that they'd had various paranormal experiences like seeing orbs after 
within 24 hours of reading it, reading his book. Mm-hmm. What on earth do you make of that? I, get, I suppose, <laughs> I, you know, I like to sit on the fence with these things and look at both sides. There, I, yeah. 100%, I think there's an element of, I'm listening to the audiobook of the Secret Machines, God's Man in War series just now, and I'm at the start uh-huh. of the God's book. And I've already mentioned that idea of manifesting reality and, Tom DeLong's talked about this before at length, and other folks have as well. Tom didn't make this stuff up, but uh, I know Tom DeLong's a big proponent of it. The idea that people can change reality themselves, the power of thought, the power of manifestation. And that's got lots of different names and um, labels across the world. You know, people talk about sending things out to the cosmos. I remember famously in the UK, Noel Edmonds said before Deal or No Deal, his career was totally rock bottom in the pan. He had been at mm-hmm. the top. He was now at the bottom. No one cared about him. And he wrote a letter and sent it. I don't know if he burned it or put it in the water or whatever, but he sent this letter to the cosmos to ask for a second chance with his career. He then came up with Deal or No Deal. It took off worldwide and massive smash hit. So I get there's, you can, in a way, change your reality, whether it's positive thinking, putting it out there or, or whatever that might be. Um, there's also folks in the more sceptical side where, it's just chance, coincidence, happenstance. Maybe it's something in between. Who knows? But what do, what do you think? Where, where does your kind of head and heart sit with it? Um, I mean, I kind of, I, I'm one of those people identifies with as just being out of our depth with this, you know? Like, I think at the, at the simplest level, like um, the, the, the simplest answer to the, the whole sort of UAP issue and all the related stuff is like, you know, perhaps that there are, you know, there are some facets of our experience that we don't understand yet, and yeah. we're maybe dealing with sort of a non-human intelligence. It's just vastly, you know, way beyond us. Um, so the physicist Kevin Knuth w- once talked about in one of in one of his um, um, speeches about how, you know, it's very likely that it's, it's very unlikely that you know whatever is interacting with us just happened to find us now. It's probably been found us a long time ago, and you know that. Um, that it's possible to travel across like large chunks of the the galaxy in sort of like in weeks or months without breaking the speed the the speed of light. Um, um, consider, when you take into account sort of time dilation for the occupants, I mean there, there are so many different aspects of this that are just it's just it's just vastly vastly confusing. I feel like we're almost like um, you know. A valid analogy might be like we're some sort of uncontacted tribe in the Amazon, and we're looking up at a helicopter, and we're all saying, "You got one person saying, you, oh, it's a demon,' and the other one's like, oh no, it's an angel,' and it's like, oh, it's my, you know, it's the soul of my dead grandma, and it's like yeah. we're all just, um, I feel like we're just horribly out of our depth with it. So yeah, I would say there's like there's definitely some aspect of our reality that we're, um, that you know, aspects of our reality that we don't understand yet, and I think. Um, yeah, probably some non-human intelligence interacting with us, and then beyond that, it's like, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, that that idea you're looking up at something and it's an angel, a demon, or the soul of a dead relative doesn't mean it's not all the same thing, you know. Um, just it's just labels. Uh, yeah. What I'd ask yeah. you, just to wrap up, Phil, um, mm-hmm. I want to ask everyone on the call in this this month, what are you hoping happens this year, 2024? as relates to the UFO topic that you would see as some form of progress? Um, I mean, I would just say anything tangible, really. I mean, the, the 
and the people are, people are split over like government disclosure. Some people want to, just, you know, think we should just be investigating ourselves. And um, I think just any any kind of tangible progress, really. So, I mean, if we could, if if the U.S. Congress really does have have a second go at a, a disclosure act, then I think, and, and it's successful, that could be absolutely huge. Um, I think beyond that, really, like, you know, well-funded, well-respected scientists with um, a solid brand behind them. Like, you know, if, if Abby Loeb can find something and he can, you know, he's got Howard's name behind him, that can be meaningful. I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of confidence in say, you know, an amateur with a FLIR camera is going to solve this for us. Um, mm. I think if that was going to happen, it would have happened already. So, you know, if, if Danny Sheehan is right and we get another disclosure act and, um, you know, I, I think that kind of thing is um, where, I, where our best hope lies. Uh, one point I would add is that um, I'm kind of intrigued to know, I have a sneaky suspicion there could be other people listening to this if, um, um, who've had a similar kind of experience. And um, I know J. Christopher King often talks about how he wants people to get off the sidelines and like whenever people ask for, ask for progress, he says like, you know, basically do it yourself essentially in a polite way. Yeah. And um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, um, you know, as, um, to possibly share an email address. So if anyone listening to this has had a, had a similar experience, possibly I could, I know we could, we could question each other and see if we could try to learn anything or if, um, yeah. So if maybe, you, maybe if that. You to, do you want to share that now or do you want to put it in description or? Um, I, well, <laughs> I just created a proton mail one called I'm not crazy. You are a proton.me. <laughs> so, um, I'll, we can share it. We can possibly share it in the, um, in, in the notes as well. Absolutely. And is that I am or I'm not? I'm like I, I just I am. I am. Cool. So yeah. I'm not crazy. I'm not... You are at ProtonMail. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, Phil, lovely speaking with you. Uh, I'm going to ask you just hang on for two seconds. Don't hang up yet. But listen, folks, do get in touch with Phil if you've had one of those sightings as well. And anything like these you want to come on and share, I'm always more than happy to listen. So lovely speaking with you, Phil. Thanks for calling in all the way out in Asia. All right, thank you very much for your time, Andy. Joining me now on the line from Tennessee, I've got Nicholas. Nicholas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Andy. Very good to have you on. Uh, Listen, you got in touch with me about uh, a sighting and some experiences. We've had a caller on already who's shared an orb experience, so maybe a little bit of a theme coming up with these, but I'd love to hear yours, Nicholas, so the floor is yours. Well, I mean, there's really not, there's not too much to it. It's, it was about 2011 or 2012. I can't really remember the year. It was a long time ago now, but I was living in Boston and I was really close to the Harbor one night. You can kind of sit out there. There's this uh, Coast Guard station across from, they call it old Ironsides, the USS Constitution. It's like one of the oldest commission warships still left built in the 1790s, I think. Um, so we're sitting out across me and a friend of mine, we're sitting out across looking at this ship and kind of talking about it. And there was some other naval ships in either from Canada or Russia, some other country had a ship in the Harbor too. And we were kind of looking at that. It was just, you know, we were from Missouri originally, so we'd never seen anything, any ships that large really. So we're out there kind of talking about that. And all of a sudden it's, it was like this strange feeling like we were being watched And I looked up to the left and there was just an orb 
about the size of a minivan, maybe just floating above the water. And I tapped my buddy and I said, Hey, and we stared at it. It must've been there for 15, 20 seconds. It just stared, felt like it was staring at us. We were staring at it. He was asking me, he's like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. It didn't, the percept, the perspective of it, it just wasn't, it didn't make any sense. And it was Mm -hmm. hovering kind of between us and this warship. And we're looking at it and all of a sudden snap, it's gone. I watched it. I thought it went straight up to the clouds. I checked with him a couple of weeks ago. We were sharing this story again, and he thought it went underwater. So that part of it's still kind of fuzzy. And at the time, no idea about the phenomenon, no idea about any of that stuff. So we just kind of wrote it off as this strange thing that would maybe make sense one day, but we didn't really know what it was. I thought UFOs were metal crafts, you know. And then later, sometime after 2017, it was, it was a Lou Elizondo interview where he mentioned orbs and he described an orb and I was like, Oh, I guess we saw something. So that's really, that's really all there was to it with that. It was just this very strange, surreal, didn't match with anything I had ever seen. You know, it was insane. Had you had an interest in UFOs before the sighting? I mean, everybody with the history channel growing up in America knows all the ancient alien stuff, but I mean, I don't think I was ever exposed to any of it. And I don't think I ever saw anything strange until then. And Mm -hmm. it was just, you know, the guy I was with has seen a couple since then. Um, So I don't really know. I just don't know what it's attached to or where it comes from. Because to me, it didn't seem like an alien. It just seemed like, it seemed like all of a sudden the, the mod for the game came in and made a change and left, you know, and you were like, like, Oh, where did that hand come from? You know, like, someone's hacking the game call of duty you know and they've got an aimbot on so yeah that's um it's an interesting setting because you're saying there are various warships there as well and i'll put my skeptical hat on because i like to play moderator on these calls because it'd be too easy for me to go oh wow Mm -hmm. what an incredible sighting that must be aliens and then next call because that would be boring so to try and play devil's advocate it's You've got warships around. Is there any chance? 2011, 2012? So drones were a thing. Maybe not as yes. advanced as they are now. It could have been some kind of drone that was there. But you did give an indication of size. What makes you so confident with like, the size, for example, and the perspective? I thought about it a lot afterwards because you're right. It's um, the amount of things that could have been flying around that I'm not aware of are endless, you know? but it was the reflection off the surface of the water. So it wasn't downward lights where you can see an obvious, like, Oh, they're shining down. They're shining up. You know, it was, it was just all a big ball of light. It was Mm -hmm. kind of, it had edges kind of, you know, when they were waving. And then the reason I said 200 feet off the water ish is just because the actual reflection of the orb in the water was solid. Okay. And the size of that reflection to me, it seemed super close to the water. And obviously, you know, I'm not an aviator. It could have been 350 feet. I don't know. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it would have been a drone to me if it would have left slowly. Mm-hmm. Because until it until it zipped off the way that it did, to me, I was just stunned thinking, oh, this, this is a flare that's not moving. Oh, this, you know, like all the things you're going through. Mm-hmm. But it just, the way that it moved was... And I've heard lots of people describe stuff like this since then. It's strange to look at, but then when it leaves, when it decides to take off, that's when you go, okay, that wasn't, you know, I've seen a lot of strange things and none of them move like that, you know? Um, 
so, you know, it could have been a lot of things. And the, I think the only reason that the warships are, that, that was the reason we were out there looking, you know, I wouldn't have been out there at that time of night because it was pretty late, you know, it was probably after midnight, but these ships had come in and, you know, we're just down there staring at them, trying to figure it all out. And to have that feeling of being watched and then immediately not look around or look behind me. Cause there's a Coast Guard station there. You know, we'd been down yeah. there before and the cops had come to say, Hey, you know, you guys can't be down here at this time. So instead of looking behind me, instead of looking at anything else, just immediately, you know, that's where I'm being looked at from. And that's, that was a strange experience, you know? And you so you've got a feeling of being watched or looked at something's got eyes on you or senses you even, but was there any noise coming from the object? No. No noise. I mean, I heard we heard the waves over everything, and that was just. And I don't know if we could have heard it anyway. I mean, we were pushing each other, trying. You know, like he was hitting mm-hmm. me, saying, "What's the?" You know, we're we've been friends for a long time, so it was just kind of, uh, you know, you grab each other and kind of like it's just outside of your reality. You know, it just doesn't make any sense when you're looking at it. No filming, no camera phones to. I have found um, some phones, some phone photos of that since then. And even if I would have been able to do it, I think I had a two megapixel camera in 2011, you know, yeah. Boost Mobile. I, do you know what? I think even now, if you're looking at what, 200 to 300 to 400 feet in the air, that's going to be a pinprick of light on, on a black background, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, yeah. So I totally appreciate that. Um, it makes me think you said you saw the object go high when it left and your friend saw yeah. the object go low. Do you think mm-hmm. that could have been the reflection of the water and he sees the object go along the water, but it actually is the reflection of it and you're watching it up high? Yeah, it's one of those things where it happened so fast that there's probably somebody in the intelligence community listening to this going like, haha, that was our XYZ drone. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> so who knows, you know, but who knows what, where he was looking when it actually took off. He could have been scanning, you know, I, I when something it left so fast that there's like no way to quantify it. Like, you know, I've heard people describe in interviews, Elizondo described things disappearing into a different reality and shrinking kind of. And then Mm. people thought that it was zipping off in one direction, but in reality, like it was just like, you know, some perspective change. So that could be all that it is, is that it did move so fast that his brain said, well, that went in the water. And my brain said, well, there it goes, it goes up, you know? And in reality, who knows what actually happened. Um, I'm not convinced that it's just fun to share the story because it was, it was mm. the thing to me that finally was like outside of, I was like, okay, that didn't make any sense. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it's still confusing. hundred percent. I wonder, was that your first and last experience or sighting or we've had 10, had 12 years since? Yes. Um, I've had a lot of like, I always look for stuff now, but I've had, my friends had a couple sightings and then we had a, uh, we had a house that we were living in here in Nashville together that was just like kind of this weird haunted, like, you know, ghosts and stuff. And we kind of always uh, talked about that kind of thing. And the house was really, really old and it was built on an old civil war battlefield. So I think we kind of manufactured most of it just being scared of the place, but yeah. Um, you know, night, it's like paralysis while you're sleeping, that kind of stuff. But I think people fold that into the phenomenon, you know, when you can read a lot of books about it and they fold it in. And I'm not convinced that that has anything to do with it per se. Like mm. the one, the one thing that re- that happened was that orb zipping off. And I know that was like, that wasn't a moment of, you know, insanity. And I wasn't asleep. That was just too real, you know, like goosebumps. I mean, this is pure speculation, but if I said to you now, thinking back, what, 12 years ago now, 
what do you think you saw that night? And you can't just say orb. What what is that for you? I assumed that whatever we saw came from at the time I was like, well, whatever we saw came from one of those ships and was going somewhere or was coming to, you know, I just assumed we saw something we didn't understand. Cause at the time I had a friend who was in the Navy and um, she was on one of the big ships and we, you know, she would come, they have these fleet weeks where they come to port and she came to Boston one time and talked to us kind of about the stuff they do. And she would leave things out. She'd be like, oh yeah, we can't talk about that. We do X, Y, Z, you know, that's these things we don't talk about. And it's like, okay, there's stuff I don't know that's going on. Who am I to like call that anything? Maybe it was a flare that, had a crazy fast acceleration and they needed it to get up quick, or maybe it was a balloon, who knows, but it was, it was nothing. It was nothing like I've ever seen. And I haven't seen anything like it since, you know, and I've watched everything, all of the videos you could watch those little atmospheric drones that the, you know, the government built that they have the little thrusters and they can hold their space. And like, I've tried to see any example of something that looks similar and I just can't find it. No, that, that's fair. And do you know what? I think it'd be very easy to come on and you hear sometimes people, they have one sighting experience and then they have loads more after that. But sometimes, yeah. I, not that it's more believable, but I think more palatable to some people to hear someone they've saw something once and that was it. There was no follow-up, no more experiences, you know, like that, um, which is which is really fair. Um, I'd love to ask, and I'm asking everyone to wrap up their calls with one question. Um 2024 is well underway we are almost into the middle of february now nicholas what would you like to see happen in the ufo subject this year that you would consider some form of progress i think progress is i mean as little as i'm involved is uh just to i think if everybody could stop responding to any sort of obvious bad faith arguments online in the media whatever just if it's obviously a bad fit argument, you can tell we're all smart. We know what we're doing. Like they're just trying to stir stuff up. Just there's no reason to combat it because every click they get, every comment they get, that's the point. The point isn't that you got them and you proved that they were being, you know, uh, debunkers or something. The point is that you engaged and they had engagement. That's what they're doing it mm-hmm. for. So progress would be to me would be ignore Kirkpatrick and all those guys. Ignore the people that are obviously arguing in bad faith and just move on with who you trust and don't give it any more energy. Do you know what? As lovely as that is, I think we are more likely to get full-on ETs shaking hands with the US president on the White House lawn than people not arguing online. But that is just the world I think we live in now and we all accept that, don't we? But yeah, I'm I'm with you. Some of the stuff online, mute, block, move along. It's all, yeah. all the well, same. And I'm guilty of it. I've done, I've done my fair share of it, but I've I think I've learned that they they want you to they enjoy blocking you and then they unblock you in six months because they need people to read their article. So you know that's the way they do things. Hundred percent, Nicholas. Awesome speaking with you. Thank you very much for sharing your sighting and experience, and uh, definitely call in again. Thank you for having me, bud. Moving on with the phone in, I have Reese joining me from Ontario, Canada. Reese, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Good to have you. And uh, people won't be able to see this, but I do appreciate Reese has joined looking like a proper YouTuber here. Clear camera, lovely mic set up and all that. So uh, Reese, listen, the floor is yours. What is it you want to talk about? Awesome. Well, I've been a viewer for a long time. Um, 
and uh, you know you've had a lot of great interviews. You ask a lot of great questions. I think one thing I just wanted to pay you a compliment first before we get rolling proper. But you know, I think the the difference for me in terms of like your content and other people's content is your sense of humor about it. You know, (laughs) a lot of this is so much out of our control that we have to have a little bit of levity with stuff, and I think you do. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate the way you kind of discuss with people and have that sense of humor. But if it's all right with you and we discussed before, but I've got some questions for you uh, that mm-hmm. I think, you know, as a viewer, I would want to answer. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, the first one that I have is um, in, in terms of like, from your perspective, you know, these Congress people are coming out of the the skiff and saying things like, you know, it really moved the needle or this moved the needle for me. Um, I think this moved the needle um, from your perspective, uh, maybe which two or three guests that you've had on here, would you say have moved the needle for you? And I guess to add on to that, is there anyone still that you'd like to have on that you're really kind of gunning for? Oh, um, so I suppose moved the needle needle. Oh God, that's hard one to say in my accent, uh, moved the needle, uh, <laughs> would be like, I saw an increase or bump in like people listening and watching and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, even your own sort of perspective or understanding okay, cool. of, of what's going on. Okay. Yeah. That clears it up. Um, so I, I suppose and I, I'm going to forget people like, um, I love speaking to Diana Pasulka the first time. Uh, I love the second time recently, but the, the first time, um, I really liked her views on stuff. And I think she, she has that, you know, I'm not a massive UFO person. I didn't come into this like I'm here to prove UFOs are real or not real and stuff. I just mm-hmm. she's got an interesting background and just happened to get involved in, in ufology, which has been really good and really refreshing. Um so she's been a great guest for that. And in terms of like popularity, she was great. Um I suppose it seems like a long time ago now, but the Luella Zondo stuff back in the day, and not not just from like he came on my podcast, he went on everyone's podcast, you know. I think it was like episode 27 or something of mine he came on. And I only mm-hmm. remember that because the title had episode 27 in it. The way I used to write them then. Um, and he done everyone's podcasts. He was on people's podcasts who had like a hundred, you know, average listener viewership. And I think that's yeah. amazing. He wasn't asking for money. And if for me, and I could be totally wrong, but if, if that kind of guy was just there to BS and be a psyop and just lie and make this stuff up, why is he spending time going on some guy's podcast or some girl's podcast that gets a hundred viewers or a hundred listeners? It's an utter waste of time. You know, it's it's it would be crazy. Yeah. Um, so I think like the Lou stuff back at the time from all the different podcasts he done was really really good and refreshing. And you got to see him do a lot of different types of shows, not just UFO ones necessarily. Um, mm. I know I know some people love him, some people hate him, like. And I think this actually probably goes for a few folks, but like Jeremy Corbell and Ross Coulter mm-hmm. do a lot for people's numbers and shows, which is wonderful whenever they give their time up, um, yeah. as they do to so many folks. Um, they they report what they know, and people might like it, people might not, people might sit on the fence. But again, I enjoy I enjoy seeing their kind of stuff because they're they know people, and whether you know you're totally happy with what some you know jeremy puts out or corbell puts out as a sighting or a piece of evidence or a video it might be a little bit controversial or very quickly get you know quote-unquote debunked or poo-pooed i think a lot of those Mm -hmm. arguments are fair but 
brings in an audience and it brings more eyes and more you know perspectives to the subject that people will at least go mm-hmm. oh well jeremy corbell just released this yeah but actually it was proven to be you know a drone or proven it be something else however look at this other stuff so i've i like those kind of names and stuff as as part of the conversation um and as part of who would i like to still speak to uh chris mellon although i've got a funny feeling he's going to be doing a lot less this year than he has done previously um tom delong 100 doesn't do anywhere near enough ufo stuff but he's in the midst of a massive world tour, which is understandable right. with the with the band. Um, is there anyone else? Do you know what? I, I'm I'm trying to get Sean Kirkpatrick. I've had a few back and mm-hmm. forwards with him, as much as some people. That'll not, be interesting. I'm, yeah, uh, I think. I think you have to talk to him. Yeah, you have to. I, that's it. And do you know what? He, he might say stuff people don't like or whatever. That's that's fine. Um, I'm not here to say this guest's on, so you have to believe them. You know, that's that's up to yeah. people to make up their, their own mind. But I think they've been interesting conversation to have. Um, and I think David Grush, if someone said to me this year, pick one guest you could have, even over a Tom DeLong and all that, a David Grush, definitely. Um, but I suppose that's half the appeal is he isn't so accessible and isn't yeah. on everyone's shows and podcasts and stuff but does that answer your question the appeal of yeah i think so i mean it's hard to dispute the appeal of a guy like david grush and mm. i think i'm i would fall on the same kind of camp as you with lou elizondo that you know why would he do these things if you know it's just it from a psyop perspective it seems so obviously obvious that it is or isn't you know and and for that reason it to me it seems obvious that it isn't um you know, and it'll be interesting to see when Lou's book comes out, redactions and all, yeah. um, what we're, what we're going to get or what we can infer, I, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed specifically, it's funny, you mentioned Pasolka because that was one that I really enjoyed and mm. I've kind of fallen down the rabbit hole with her specifically too. And, um, sort of leads into my second question. I'm, I would identify as not a religious person. I would say that I'm fairly agnostic, um, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that I'm smart enough to say definitively that there is one thing or not. So even atheism, I think is a little bit um, ignorant of, you know, of the broader perspective, but I just, I wonder, you know, as a long time agnostic, I, I would say that I've had my sort of religious needle moved in kind of uncomfortable ways over the last year specifically or so like with through the Pasolka conversations and even some of the stuff DeLong said about um, Greek mythology and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just some of those tie-ins. And so I wonder, and I'm not asking you necessarily to identify your own sort of religious stance, but has, has your perspective on that shifted in some way through these conversations? Um. No, but in the sense that I'm not religious, never have been. Um, I, I'm, I've just started listening to the audiobook of the Secret Machines Gods, Man, Gods, Man and War series. The first one? Yeah, God, Gods is the first one, I believe, yeah. And I'm literally just at the beginning of it, um, on the drive back from Scotland yesterday. I'd, I'd done like an hour mm-hmm. or two. And they're talking about the religions, and I think it says 4,300 religions in the world. And I've always been of the opinion, and this could be totally, you know, ignorant or wrong. That is what it is. Um, But they all come from similar sources and share stories, and they're passed down through tens of thousands or hundreds of years. And for me, it's like, 
they're just all sharing very similar ideas and you even see the mm-hmm. same quote unquote mm-hmm. characters pop up in different religions just with different yeah. roles you know to play um not to say that they don't all have aspects of the truth but i think they're all going back to the same thing that you know something came here that was more powerful advanced whatever it may be than us any advanced technology is famously indistinguishable from magic and still would be to mm-hmm. this day to us so um i'm not religious i i yeah um i find i have a much easier time believing we've got aliens coming from some distant galaxy than a mythical being that is omnipotent snapped his fingers and went boom there's the earth in seven days but yeah maybe maybe a little gray done that one day you know and it's all the same kind of stories just take labels off and put a different word in and it all goes back to the same so yeah each to their own Uh, if if people haven't checked out i spoke to paul figbin uh just at christmas time it was that time of year that maybe some folks missed it with the holidays and stuff um but he's a um he talked about the idea of ufos and extraterrestrials from a catholic perspective and that was interesting Mm -hmm. with his spin on it and and juggling catholic faith and the idea of et the idea of ufos and what that could mean what it does mean and that was pretty cool to hear as well so yeah not religious though just each to their own believe what they want yeah yeah that's that's fair enough um yeah like uh even even some jeffrey kripal stuff has mm. has pulled me or chris bled so um again like my perspective hasn't really changed but i can almost feel a tug in a certain direction and yeah um to that end and and i guess sort of like on that topic there was a book that my fiance and i read several years ago and like i know you ask a lot of times you ask people how they got into the subject or what mm-hmm. made them interested i'm 41 um and so i think like you're probably similar in age and growing up, uh, you know, aliens and like, this was just part of popular media. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was always interested as a kid, but, um, my interest became a little more, um, professional in terms of like my commitment to, uh, sourcing information, uh, and taking in interviews and, and, you know, regarding conversations. Um, it became a lot more serious after we read this book called journey of souls by a guy Mm -hmm. called Michael Newton. I don't know if you've heard of him or heard of that, but it's like, I know a lot of these studies sort of overlap with NDEs, the near death experience stuff. And, uh, like a guy like Robert Bigelow is now moved a lot of his time and study into like post-life or after death kind of studies. Um, and so this guy in this book, Michael Newton, he's a hypnotherapist. Um, and so he does these things called past life regressions. And just for anyone out there who might need a little different context to kind of put together, I, I would recommend that book. Um, it's, it's a set of case studies of past life regressions. Um, and what really sort of did it for me was it's not, it's not religious per se, but it is spiritual in that, you know, a lot of these people who aren't connected, they talk about, um, they talk about similar sort of post death experiences and like having sort of like returning to source energy and some, just some interesting sort of, um, um, I guess concepts that seem to have some overlap with some of this other stuff I'm reading through Pasolka and American cosmic and, you know, some of these other books and maybe not specifically American cosmic, but, um, if you haven't checked it out, it's a name and a book that I haven't heard in the this this field. Um, so I know you've got a huge stack of books behind you, typically, <laughs> and it just seems to be growing. Um, but one more, one more for you. 
Yeah, no, and do you know what? I struggle to read with the just time and life, so I I like audiobooks. Um, but I love having the physical book for. I struggle to do audiobooks for research. I don't take the information in. I struggle with that. Um, so I'm I like, the same and, way. and my memory's terrible. I've said that so many times. I'm, I'm not lying. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. tend to like. I like having the book to to read and make a note. And I'm still like, right now I'm using paper and pen, even though I've got all kinds of tech all around me. I like writing stuff down, and I'd like sourcing yeah. and putting it down i'll i'll do i'll duplicate my work to put it on then onto a notepad online and write up write up my notes and stuff so but yeah no that's that's fair enough yeah um i know um bigelow got involved in the post-life afterlife sort of stuff when he's was his grandson died really young um i don't know exactly what it was the trigger i think it, but... i think he'd like a really young grandchild passed away and that really kicked him into investigating and he put up the mm. The money, didn't he? I think Jeffrey Mishlove won the the, the award, yeah. the grant, um, for for his essay. There was like an on... essay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff, and not totally disconnected or unconnected to UFOs, to be fair. So yeah, yeah. No, I do. Um, uh, as you're saying, an audio book too. I find that I'm only really synthesizing that stuff when I'm reading it off the page or making notes or highlighting. Um, and I guess uh, just the last one I've got here for you, just to keep. Mm-hmm things on schedule how do you keep yourself sane um because i spend a lot of time i'm sure you spend more than i do uh, i spend a lot of time each week taking this stuff in between and i won't you know name drop them necessarily but between like you know podcasts that come out weekly um uh, between all the stuff that you get out and man you get stuff out at a pretty good cadence so i gotta give props to you on that uh, but how do you keep yourself sane? Because you do see the wheels coming off uh, some people out there uh, without being too specific. And how do you, how do you keep yourself sane? Because it's like one foot's in reality and the other foot is by necessity in bizarro upside down land. Um, I've not really been on like UFO Twitter, for example, for about three days. I've, I just don't think I can. Like I've got busy full-time monday friday nine to five day job i've got three young kids um and i've got a life around that so i just find time for other stuff the the podcasts i listen to uh i don't put like weaponized or need to know in my normal rotation i keep that for i'm doing some research or i'm having like a ufo day and i'll play those kind of stuff like on a certain day um but my normal podcast rotation none of it's like ufos are don't have rogan none of that it's all like wrestling and funny geeky comic book stuff and things like that just totally unrelated and football um so it's like i've got my life and i've got this life uh, and i think that helps massively uh to do that and i can just not pay attention to it for a few days i've just got i think a good habit with it that there, there was a time when the podcast got popular which i'm so grateful for and I've done lots of stuff, but it was too much. And then I think over a short period of time, I managed to work out how I could work comfortably and a good schedule, but also a schedule that I'm happy to keep up. I don't like leaving it a week or two weeks. I like to try and put out two shows a week, um, yeah. depending on how that works. Sometimes three, you know, I don't ever want to think I just put out stuff for the sake of it. Um, so yeah, it's just, just trying to keep a somewhat of a schedule and it goes back to that thing i've said before mate i love podcasts i do love podcasting uh, as a genre um i listen to more podcasts and i watch tv and i enjoy the format and the freedom and flexibility i would 
surprise people. I bet you watch or listen to it as much, if not more than I do most weeks. But I think I'm just efficient with my time, let's say. Fair enough. Speaking of efficiency, what's your? I saw a poll on UFO uh, Twitter the other day. What speed do you watch your uh, content at? Normal speed. Yeah, I, you watch I, it at normal I, speed. Yeah, I, I don't know how people do it. Dan does it. At like, was it one point five or two times? Oh, it's yeah, one point two five, one point five. As soon as you start getting up to one point seven five, you're on the verge of being a sociopath. But I, I can, I can function at one point five. No, I don't know how folks do that. Like, um, <laughs> I am, um, my mind is so racy with everything in life generally. I will have conversations in my head with myself while I'm speaking to someone about something else. So yeah. when I'm listening to something, I get easily distracted and I'll have to constantly go back. So to have something firing forward at an extra speed, just nah, not for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, normal, normal, good old one time speed. And God forbid anyone tries to listen to me and anything that isn't not 0.5 uh at times you should so. hear yourself at 1.5 it's it's remarkable you sound I, like a genius <laughs> i bet if you i bet if you take some mushrooms and uh you know crank up the crank up the 1.5 that ufo podcast it's a hell of a trip so yeah well that's the frequency to get you to the other side i think right <laughs> i can imagine yeah it's what keeps me sane yeah yeah um what are you hoping for 2024 you're asking everybody else this i am yeah uh so Oh, realistically this year uh can i be cheeky and have like a few things um yeah 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 i would love a really decent video to come out akin to like, the tic tac the gimbal type videos yeah a bit less spurious so with a little bit of data to back it up and maybe it gets it gets more media and mainstream attention than the others have or did you know they've been out for a long yeah. time now um mm-hmm. I'd love to see some more off the back of that. I'd love, I'd love Grush to to really be able to push forward with more. Um, and I, I really think if we're going to get this again in the mainstream, I think in the mainstream we've we've kicked the door and the door opened a little bit, but it slammed shut pretty quickly again to the the mainstream mm-hmm. conversation. You need some some names there who have worked on objects or biological entities, if we call them that. Uh, to come forward and say, yeah, I've, I've worked on this stuff and it definitely wasn't human. Like, yeah, I like mean, we there's had rumblings that those people are coming. And it's just if they make it to the stand, and I don't mean that in a nefarious way, but a lot of pressure can get applied in a lot of different ways to these people, and I don't envy them having to come forward. If you just look at David Grush and what he's been through, that's a lot. And we don't even Absolutely. know 90% of what he's had to deal with. So, yeah, um, I'd I'd like to see Grush carry on. But... I think there's kind of safety in numbers and one David Grush is great, but five David Grushes would be, would be even better to kind of ease the load mm-hmm. a little bit and a little bit, a little bit of unity. Uh, that would be good for me. Yeah. 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 I agree. What about you? I have to ask. What about you, Reese? Uh, I, I want the same. I mean, I want videos. I want pictures. I want that high def stuff. I mean, a lot of people say, okay, the world we live in now is one that you can't trust that stuff um, mm. with all the, all the AI. And, you know, in some ways I actually think that AI and the way this is going with tech, it, the confluence of all this technology, the advancements and everything is going to, I think 2030 as a timeline for like disclosure of some form is 
maybe still um, a little conservative. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. think the lid's going to be able to be kept on this thing for, for too much longer with the way tech's going. Like they're having, and sure the term conversation is blown out of proportion, but scientists are having conversation with whales. Like if you can use AI to decode patterns in animal speech and then all of a sudden the whales are like, Hey, have you seen the shit that's on the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> like that, that's a, a whole different, you know, I, I don't think that's in 2024, but what do I want to see? I want to see, like you're saying more um, high quality video with some metrics or some data that's going to, you know, nail things down a little bit and say, yeah, we got this from like three different angles on five different sensors and uh, there's 200, you know, witnesses. Um, so that's, I think what I, what I want, I'm really looking forward to this David Grush uh, op-ed um, selfishly. I was kind of hoping it was going to drop on Friday so that <laughs> on this, uh, on this call, we'd have that to talk about, but yeah. um, you know, not yet. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to Lou's book and yeah, just more, um, more, more pics and videos. A lot of good media this year, just on that, because the three body problem is out late March on Netflix. Twenty first, I think. Yeah, yeah it's the twenty first. Yeah, um, I just bought that's... that book. Actually, it showed up on Friday. Oh, I've got it. It's it's hard to with the translation to kind of keep in. It, it, for Fair me enough. personally, it knocks me out of it a little bit sometimes with the grammar, but it's just the way that it's roughly translated. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed. I started the series on YouTube, which is free, but then it starts charging you for certain episodes. Um, yep. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And James Fox's new documentary. I would love to see, selfishly because I've got young children, if Disney Pixar would pick up and do a proper, you know, Encanto, Moana style, but like with an alien, UFOs, and just get little kids into it and talking about it more, that could be pretty yep. cool. Or if Spielberg like, rebooted E.T. and called it NHI, something like that. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's what we could do yeah. with in 2024. I teach a film studies course and this year I showed uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, you know, just get my foot in there, in the door as much as I can help to soften the blow, I guess, a little bit. Again, they're rebooting everything else. Why not the UFO stuff, the classics? Why not? I'd be all for it. Reese, awesome speaking with you, mate. That was uh, that was really good. I appreciate uh, a few times listeners have done that in the past and put me on the spot, but it's been a good while now. So hopefully I, I didn't let you down answering the questions. But yeah, awesome, man. Good speaking with you. you were awesome. You as well. Thanks again. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening folks It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk The little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when I shoved out the screen he made it an issue I don't think he expected me to see his ass but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Thank you.